Hello team Unscrubbed. Thank you as always for tuning in today. I hope everyone is having a fantastic week. On today's episode, we have part two of the incredible Shannon Cohn's interview. Now, if you missed last week, Shannon is an award-winning film director and producer, including the documentary Endo What. In part two, Shannon opens up about her own personal struggles with endometriosis and how she has subsequently become a fierce advocate for this disease through a few of her films, including the film Endo What and her upcoming documentary Below the Belt. Shannon also discusses how she has secured millions, I mean millions of research dollars for endometriosis through DOD funding, and also the impact of her school nurse initiative, which is working to cut down the diagnosis time for endometriosis in adolescents. Shannon is truly an incredible human, and I promise you, you will leave this episode inspired for change. We hope you enjoy. Let's get into endometriosis. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're so fascinating. I like, I don't even know what, like what part of you to dive into because you're just so fascinating. So let's get into endometriosis next. So in 2016, you were the producer and the director of the well-known documentary Endo What. And this film is incredibly powerful and has really permeated its way into so many different patient advocacy groups as well as surgeons. And it really is seeking to change the culture of misinformation about endometriosis. And I really want to dive into this. So can you tell us a bit about the driving force that led you to create this film? So when I became a filmmaker and um, I started working at a production company in New York and a lot of what we were focusing on was documentary, but not only documentary, but building social change movements around documentaries. So that really struck a chord in me as a lawyer and an activist and, and a filmmaker, kind of ticked all of those boxes. So... I never considered making anything about endometriosis, even though I had first had symptoms with endometriosis when I was 16. And I, you know, like so many teenage girls that have endometriosis symptoms, had no idea what was happening. I just knew I was in incredible pain. And I was raised by a single father who I was, who was adorable and just doted on me and was the most wonderful man. But, you know, there are just some things a 16 year old don't talk, doesn't talk to their father about. Right. My menstrual cramps was one of them. (laughs) So, you know, he was kind of at a loss, poor thing, now looking back. But, you know, it was one of those like very intense where you go every month and you have a period and you're lying on the bathroom floor. And I was in such intense pain that I was alternating on my bathroom floor between hot flashes and cold sweats, that type of pain. And this is after taking four Advil, you know? So, and no really, no, no one really know, knew what to, to do with me necessarily. My pediatrician didn't necessarily know. So, you know, we, I just toughed it out. Mm. And uh, years passed and, you know, it was like three days a month where I just had, kind of had to schedule things around. And I was a very active kid. I was athletic. I was involved in every, you know, school club and just, I wasn't going to let it hold me back. That's a cert, like it's typical type A. You yeah, know? exactly. And I, I went on <laughs> and I went on through, through college and law school and all of these things kind of 
scheduling around when I knew I would have symptoms that would be debilitating. Uh, If I had a test coming up and I knew that I would be sick for a few days before, I would study earlier. Mm. Or if I had something going on with work, I would work around those days because I knew I would be kind of down for the count. So I first had symptoms at 16 and I didn't hear the word endometriosis until I was 29. And I was so relieved just because I had a name to what was going on. I it, I will say as a side note, it, it drives me crazy when I hear physicians or anyone say, what good is a diagnosis? Because, you know, I'm going to treat it the same way or that is so, that's just, you're not considering what it's like to go many years with not, without having a name to your symptoms. I think everyone deserves a diagnosis, a definitive diagnosis of whatever condition or disease they, they, they live with. So when I finally did, of course, I saw my, my OBGYN who had had for a decade and she is a lovely person <laughs> and she, she attempted to do surgery and we had ablation surgeries, a couple of ablation surgeries that made things worse. And uh, and I've since talked, by the way, the same OBGYN delivered my children and we're friendly. Oh, wow. But we've had conversations where she was like, she's admitted, you know, like, I, I shouldn't have operated on you, you know, like, and because she didn't have the skills. She's a she's an OBGYN. She spends the majority of her time delivering children and she's really good at exactly. it. Exactly. You know, um, but she did not have the skill set to open me up and deal with what was going on with me as far as endometriosis goes. And like I said, it ended up making things worse and my symptoms just got so much worse. And so it wasn't until I was actually at NYU and trying to do film school, which, you know, included standing on my feet. You know, we were on set all the time. Film school is not really with your, you know, your bottom in a seat and in a chair and a desk. It is out. You're on set. You're making movies. And I, you know, I was wearing yoga pants every day (laughs) trying to make movies, but I was, you know, had these intense symptoms. And I, by pure luck, I found a gynecologist whose office was in Soho near NYU, which is why I ended up going mm-hmm. there. And he is an endometriosis excision specialist. Wow. And she's down. And I still remember the the diagrams that she drew for me. I mean, of the female anatomy explaining like, I think you have severe endometriosis and I think you have bowel involvement because I had all of these symptoms. And she said, and I think we need to do surgery right away. And we did. And what I thought was going to be an outpatient surgery, I ended up being in Lenox Hill for six days. Wow. And it was an eight hour surgery. My gosh. So yeah, it was intense. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, it's really important for me to share this story because this is the story of so many others where, you know, we, first of all, we encounter like kind of a system of or a cycle of menstrual misinformation with people well-meaning people trying to help but they just don't have the knowledge and they're kind of guided by the cultural understanding of menstruation or lack of understanding and then we go to see our frontline providers who can't help either either because they don't have the information or the education or the skills to help and then of course they try to help with you know different medications and of course some work you know short term for varying amounts of time. They had, you know, incredible side effects and for the most part, and I couldn't stay on them for a long time. And then the symptoms came back for me personally. So I'm not, you know, I believe in 
I don't want to say that I'm against pharma. Without pharma, I would we would all be dead. Probably, <laughs> I would be in a lot. You know, like I still turn to medical management for a a lot of different things with endometriosis. I have an IUD. I can share that with you right now Mm -hmm. that is doing wonders for my quality of life, you know? So that's, I, it's not that I just worry about sometimes I'm, I'm digressing a bit and we can come back to this, but I do, I'll tell you, you know, specifically, I do worry about how, when narratives are written by pharma for care, that crosses a line for me, but anyway, okay, I'm going so basically, um, I, I still, even after surgery, when I finally got you know appropriate surgery, still after that, I never considered doing anything about endometriosis. And it wasn't until my second daughter was born and I, I read a research article talking about the seven times increased risk between mothers and daughters mm-hmm. and sisters of endometriosis. And I look back on those, you know, 15 years of my life before that. And the thought of my own sweet daughters who were so innocent and young yes. <laughs> going through the absolute hell for, you know, frankly, that I had gone through was so terrifying to me that it really, it's just like a light switch moment that, okay, wait a second, <laughs> I'm building social movements around issues using film. Why can't we do this with endometriosis? Wow. Because first of all, all, we need to create, you know, an environment of widespread, you know, education, not only with patients, but also frontline providers. And we need to move the the needle of progress forward. So that's how I came to making into what? Wow, Shannon, that is just an incredibly personal story. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable with that. And you know, the medical trauma is so real for our patients. I mean, you probably had all these normal quote unquote tests, right? Like normal imaging and normal labs and everything's coming back normal. Yet like you're incapacitated every single month. Like, you know, your body, something was not right. Yes, of course. Like many people with endometriosis, all of my imaging tests were negative. Um, colonoscopies. I, I had three colonoscopies before 35 years old. And they were all always normal. Mm-hmm. I've had multiple upper endoscopies. I've had CAT scans, obviously, MRIs, um, all normal, blood work normal. Mm. But of course, I knew something was wrong. And it was. My gosh. And, you know, I just think about my patients who have seen many, many providers before they finally get to our center. And, man, like some of them can't even like look at me in the face, right? They're just so discouraged about all of the trauma, like I've said, that they've they've been through. It just resonates so deeply and it just shows the importance of changing the culture across the board. And you and I could talk for an entire hour about this, right? It's not only providers, it's like research dollars. It's how we code for endometriosis. It's giving women the, the platform that they need to actually be listened to and heard. So... So thank you so much for dedicating so much of your career to this. It's just absolutely in- instrumental. And like you said, moving the needle. Sorry, I was going to ask you one more thing about this, about endo what. So I've heard you say that when you're interviewing people for endo what, many people off camera told you, if change is to come, it will be led by the endometriosis community. This hits me on like, this strikes me in so many different ways. Uh, like part of me is like, well, yes, obviously we need a partner with all of these you know, endometriosis patients and the advocacy groups. But then part of me, to be absolutely honest with you, Shannon, is really embarrassed. Like it should not be up to our patients. Like I'm just, I'm, I just feel terrible that that's even on the mindset of how this should be changing. What are your thoughts on this? 
I was absolutely shocked when I kept hearing that, not just for the first time, but repeatedly um, from experts and many physicians and providers who have been in this space for decades. And so they speak from experience and know. And the issue is with endometriosis is there's, there are a lot of politics and ego in the field, unfortunately, and it's held progress back in a lot of ways. And that's what I kept hearing, even from the people who admit, yes, I'm, I'm actually mired and I'm actually admit all of the politics and the ego and I'm not helping necessarily, but it's just so like deeply entrenched that they are not getting out of it. So yes, I, you know, it is unfortunate that the honest is then put on patients who are already a sick community for the most part and trying to find answers and better care and treatment. But, you know, to try to unite and organize in this way. And, you know, I think there are a lot of great patient advocates that are doing tremendous work and have been doing tremendous work in this space for decades, much earlier than I even heard the word endometriosis. So I'm honored to work alongside them and learn from them. And I think we all have a role to play and, and, you know, bringing our, our talents and what we can do to the table to move it forward, which is what we're trying to do, for example, with Endo What and for the next film, Below the Belt. Whereas I see Endo What as an educational tool. You know, it's a 50-minute film meant to get, give an accurate base of knowledge about endometriosis. The next film, Below the Belt, is really meant to be an organizing tool for patients and healthcare provider allies, organizational allies to, to utilize, to organize around, to push for real change, for tangible change, for more research dollars, for better education, for a change of culture, for pushing for action with CPT coding so that patients can get better care. And the only way that we can do all of these things is if we work together, not only within the patient community, but with providers who are allies who would benefit and want the same thing, governmental allies who see the benefit of that. And I think if we just get the right messaging and the right partners, that we can make it happen. I have spoken at length to organizers and other health movements. For example, I've spoken at length to uh, Greg Gonzalez. He was one of the original members of ACT UP, and now he runs the, the Yale Global Policy Institute, a global health policy institute. And he's given me really great advice how to organize a social movement for change in, in any health condition. And he also told me, he's like, Shannon, you don't need a thousand people for change. You need maybe 20 people with different skill sets and the right intention and a really good plan. Wow. (laughs) So that's what we're trying to do. I love that so much because sometimes it just seems insurmountable, right? It's like, where do we even start? Like this has been broken for so many years. How do we even start? And I love how you said that we all have our skill sets, right? We all have our skill. And by really capitalizing on what we can bring to the table, what we can offer, putting us all together, like synergistically, that just, it just takes us to the next level. So thank you for orchestrating all of us together as one because the silos, it's not working, right? (laughs) Has it ever worked? I don't know, but it's not working. 
it's not working. And I and I recognize that most people are out there trying to do a good job. We just have we have a reality that we all live within. We have families to take care of. We have jobs to, you know, we have our professional lives to tend to. And it's not like we can all just put all of that aside to say, okay, we're gonna go change the world. <laughs> we're gonna go change the endometriosis. Right. That's not real. Of course, you know, like, and I believe in other people's like positive intentions and humanity. And I believe that if we can say, okay, let's reverse engineer this problem. Let's look at what people have done before with the AIDS movement, with the breast cancer movement. And what can we use? What can we learn from that? And what can we use? Put together a really good coalition of people who have the right intentions, like you said, and bring the right skill sets because we can't be all things, right? No. So we need all meet at the same table and move it forward. And, you know, we've done a lot of that so far already, and we need more people to join us to to keep going. Love it. I want to conclude by bringing up some of the actionable things that your film has has put into motion. I mean, you have started an entire movement, which is just so incredibly empowering and amazing. So you recently teamed up with Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Hatch and really brought this into the forefront of the Senate's healthcare agenda. Can you talk to me a little bit about the research funding that you've helped secure for endometriosis? Yes. So we reached out to Senator Orrin Hatch in 2017 and started a conversation about pursuing research funding for endometriosis and really started working in DC on the ground trying to see how it would be possible. And the issue with NIH a lot of times is, you know, a lot of people are jockeying for NIH funding. It's really hard to for congressional members to designate, okay, to the, to the NIH, you're going to give exactly this amount because it really is under the purview of the NIH when it gets there. They can give the money, but the NIH gets to decide and that's fine. But we wanted something that could be more congressionally directed so that if we'd appeal to congressional members that they can direct the the funding for endometriosis. And again, we look back to what people have done before us and really looked at what the breast cancer and ovarian cancer advocates and the movement around that have done. They went after DOD funding, Department of Defense funding for women's conditions quite successfully. And I don't know who exactly to credit within the breast cancer movement who was first to do that, but that person is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I need to find that person's name. I actually have tried and I I can't, you know, it's hard to find exactly who is going to credit for that. Because all you have to show is the the health condition, uh, you know, affects the U.S. military, members of Congress, and the American public. Wow. So we put up some this argument and presented it to Senator Hatch, and we asked him, okay, we really it's really important for this any type of work around this to be bipartisan. Can, do you have a Democrat, you know, kind of colleague that you would like to work work with? And he said Elizabeth Warren's name right off the bat and um, kind of appealed to her and asked if she wanted to be involved. And to her credit, she said yes immediately. And we had our first meeting with both of the senators at the Capitol in early 2017 and put the DOD funding in motion. It was uh, awarded for fiscal year 2018, $9.2 million in fiscal year 2018 to research projects that, you know, to get to the the cause of of endometriosis, for example, malignant transformation of of endometriosis, 
anti-inflammatory qualities of, inf- of endometriosis. A whole myriad of uh, research studies that that need to be done. I mean, we have to find a cure, right? They gave two million dollars to researchers to try to find a cure for endometriosis. So, and since then, we've worked with um, Senator Warren. Senator Hatch actually retired a couple of years ago, but in his stead, uh, Senator Mitt Romney kind of stepped in to keep the bipartisan nature, and he's been amazing as well. And we worked with the two of them to continue DOD funding. And I will say last year was really incredible because there was was an Iowa Iowa representative named Abby Finkenauer who has endometriosis, and she started a 31-member House Endometriosis Caucus, a bipartisan caucus to not only appeal for further DOD funding on the House side, but also um, successfully lobbied with Senator Warren and Senator Romney to double NIH funding for endometriosis from 13 to 26 million. So huge accomplishments last year within that space due to the work of Representative Finkenauer and the House Endometriosis Caucus. So I'm really excited about what we can do as the caucus continues and our work with the senators continue. Talk about creativity, right? And getting out of your box. Like, you're right. That is ingenious. I would never have thought of the DOD. That wouldn't have been my first my first uh, mindset. But I mean, $26 million, this is just, it's so incredibly powerful. Thank you, Shannon, for thinking and, and connecting with all those people in that way. That's just amazing. Yeah, I think it just, you know... Uh, I, I didn't do this necessarily. You know, I we 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 connect with each other. I learn. I have advisors who I turn to all the time yeah. who I say, you know, please help me with this because this is not my expertise. You know, I, for example, uh, Heather Guadone, I don't know if you know, she's a really uh, incredible advocate with endometriosis space. I call her my OB1 <laughs> because I, when I have a anything, I ask her and it's always correct. You know, like yeah. we all have those people, our mentors, the people that, that we respect and we turn to and help guide us. So I think it's like a willingness to go to that and say, you know what, this isn't about me or this, this is about all of us yeah. and we need to work together. I hear you. Ted Lee is mine. Anything that I don't know what to do, I call Ted. Oh Lord, help me. What? <laughs> Talk me through this. And he's someone who's like, oh yeah, I've seen that. I've done that. He always knows what to say. So those people are so important for us. Right. Right. It's yeah. True. And then the, la- the, the the next action item that I want to make sure we bring up so we can incorporate this within our lives if it's relevant is how you've been teaming up with school nurses to empower them with the knowledge to diagnose endometriosis. I know you have two young daughters and I also have a daughter and the thought of our innocent little people going through what, what you unfortunately had to go through is just overwhelming. So talk to me, what does that initiative entail and how can we as surgeons or our listeners help initiate that in our kids' schools? Thank you. Yes. So um, in 2017, we started the School Nurse Initiative. And the goal of that initiative is to educate at least 10,000 school nurses in the United States. We're over halfway to that goal and expect to meet it in 2022. We would have met it this year, but of course, with COVID, certain realities change. Mm -hmm. But um, what it is, is each school nurse receives a copy of EndoWatt, an educational booklet about the practical information about endometriosis, how to recognize the signs and then what to do and how to support teenagers that come into your infirmary with symptoms. And then beyond that, it has a, a sample lesson plan and discussion guide and posters for the school nurse's office, the girls' locker rooms and bathrooms. And the reason why we decided to do it is because we're just trying to cut that diagnosis time. If we can get the delay to diagnosis down, imagine the ripple effect in in people's lives. 
because the the disease won't be allowed to progress for so long. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's why we started with school nurses because so many you know I hear countless tales and it did happen to me as well. You go into your school nurse's office, you have cramps, you're told to turn on your side, pull your knees up, and give into Advil. And, and that's okay. You know, that's, that's okay because that's their job, I guess, for the short term. But wouldn't it be amazing if the school nurse, as she or he is counting down the possibilities going on, if endometriosis pops in their mind and if the girl hears endometriosis at 15 uh, instead of 29, like me, if I had heard endometriosis at 15 by my school nurse, I think I would have gotten better care, I hope, much sooner. And beyond school nurses, we're working this year to expand that to other frontline providers with primary care physicians, Mm -hmm. pediatricians, and ER providers. So that's what we're focusing on this year so that when a school nurse does hear that, you know, think about endometriosis and she refers the the teenager, then the next person in line can then also know about endometriosis. Absolutely brilliant. And you're right. Even, I mean, a lot of this is just, we don't know what we don't know, right? These, these, these providers just don't even have that as part of their differential. And just by being able to say the word endometriosis, say that to the patient, they can at least have that as something that could be going on and to work it up. So I think that's incredible. So, so thank you. And for our listeners, go on Endo What, right? There's a link on how you can send this packet to your, to your school nurse. So if you guys have kids, log on, do this today. It's a really easy way to really help spread the word on a, on a national, international level. So, so make sure to do that. All right, Shannon. So your next film, Below the Belt, uh, when does it come out? <laughs> well, it's a little bit in flux just because of COVID, yeah. because we are going to be premiering in person in Los Angeles later this year when we feel that it's safe. We were hoping for an early September release in LA. We may end up doing it outside. We'll see. <laughs> and we'll screen in LA. We'll screen in DC for governmental decision makers, and then release virtually around the world on various platforms and with partnerships. And we'll also be working with various institutions, hospitals to get this information out to providers and, 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 that, and those kind of channels. And Below the Belt is very different than EndoWhat in that it approaches endometriosis as a social justice issue. And like I said, follows um, the lives of four women over many years. One is a teenager based in Boston. One is a Canadian lady in her 30s, an LA-based nurse, actually, and a Brooklyn-based artist. So we follow all of the different facets of endometriosis through their lives and explore a lot of different things from, for example, the menstrual health stigma to gender bias in medicine, misinformation, lack of information, and the the influence of commercial, commercial interests in our healthcare system and how how does that affect positively or negatively good care? These are so such important issues. And I can imagine following these patients over the course of years and years, it can really just bring you into their daily struggle, their weekly struggle on what they're experiencing, right? A snapshot it does not do it justice. You need to have this over years to see how much this is actually impacting every part of their lives. Absolutely. You know, Below the Belt follows the model of a lot of documentaries that you see because Below the Belt is meant for the mainstream. It's meant for a person who has endometriosis and understands it and can really connect in that emotional way or providers for sure. But it's also meant for, you know, that 50-year-old dad who's never heard of the word endometriosis, <laughs> never thought that they would care about it. Yeah. But, you know, it starts as a, it starts out as, a, you know, an investigation into, you know, kind of mysterious symptoms and 
what what is this and why do so many people have it and why haven't we heard of it and by sharing the stories of these people like many documentaries that you see the audience not only begins to care about these people and the story they be- they began to care about the larger issues that influence or that that are influencing these people and that's the hope you know to build a larger social movement around the disease so that more people care about it put fire in our bellies right fire us up that's right <laughs> oh i love it shannon well i've had you all morning thank you so much for your time and Are there any parting words that you want to leave our listeners with for this episode today? Oh, wow. Goodness. (laughs) I I mean, I would say um, if you are a provider to know that organizations like like ours and patients want to work in, in concert with you to find answers and to be open to listening to, to that and being a part of that so that we can all have a, an easier future. And to patients, I would say, you know, keep fighting that we're going to find answers and we're going to get to a place that it's going to make it not only hopefully a better place for us to, to live and to operate, but also our future generations. I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about what is possible and I'm hopeful for what we can do when we work together. Perfectly put. I, I really feel like we're at a turning point. I feel like I feel like all of our energies are synergistically coming together. And I'm also very optimistic for the future. Everyone who's listening, please keep your eyes open for Below the Belt. Log on to Endo What. Join the conversation. And Shannon, thank you again for joining us today. Really powerful conversation. Thank you. And that is all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next episode for more expert insights and perspectives. From all of us at the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening.